Welcome to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 67. This is a podcast to equip and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. In light of recent events and the global Black Lives Matter movement, we wanted to pause and take stock of any issues within our own world of worship songwriting. So we were delighted when Noel Robinson, songwriter, worship leader and all-round good guy, offered to come on the show and share some of his own perspectives and experiences so that we could listen to him. Sam caught up with Noel recently and the rest of this mid-month special will be their conversation. Well, uh, our very special guest today is the founder of the Kingdom Worship Movement. He's a worship leader, he's a songwriter, uh, he's worked with all sorts of people, Israel Houghton, Ron Canoli, Matt Redman, Leland, Graham Kendrick, Lara Martin. And uh, Noel Robinson is also the first black British artist to sign with Integrity Music. Uh, And we are in these days. Welcome, Noel, by the way. Hello. Bless you, man. Thank you so much for for doing this. Um, We really, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I'm quite torn to speak to you because, honestly, we're a few weeks since the murder of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And we're in a time where we're lamenting and we're learning that we need to listen better and have conversations which sometimes can be difficult and Mm. sometimes can be uncomfortable. But I think that's really important. And so... Uh, I'm so pleased uh, that you are willing to have this conversation with us, and you totally. know, we just want to we want to learn from your story, and that's that's the to me that's the heart of this. So, what's your story, Noel? <laughs> well, I mean, my my story um, it starts way back when. Um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm the first generation, uh, uh, you know, second generation Windrush. Uh, my mm. father came over um, to seek his fortune in the. Mm. Uh, uh, what we call the these the sixties, yeah, and um, uh, from the island of Jamaica. So my heritage is is Jamaican, and and obviously yeah. he came over with a view just to work actually, and and to earn money and go back to uh, Jamaica, which was part of the Commonwealth. So he mm. came here on an invitation. Um, obviously, yeah. after the war, uh, there's a whole generation of men that died out, and the the UK really needed help in, in yeah. rebuilding so they reached out to the Commonwealth countries and the Caribbean was one of the places um, uh, being one of the places that was colonised by, by Britain so that, that's that's my ethnic um, origin um, mm. obviously uh, my dad coming here I was born here um, mm. born in North West London um, in, a, in a fairly cosmopolitan well very cosmopolitan um, a community um, I call it cosmopolitan because that's a really cool word to use and it's like a 60s word. <laughs> um, but actually, yeah, my neighbours, you know, my neighbours were Irish. Uh, one side, the other side, English. Across the road, there was an Asian family. Um, uh, you know, just, it, just you know, my school was very mixed uh, with loads of people from, like, say, uh, Europe, um, from Greece, all that kind of stuff. So it's a very, very mixed yeah. community. Um so I, I, I learned what I would call uh, my concept of multiculturalism. Um, yeah. Now, when I think back, that was the, my early days. Um, growing up in, 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 I call it young black Britain, um, I was very much protected by my dad mm. from, um, from um, what we call racism. Um, yeah. Racism wasn't subtle in those days. 
it was very, very overt. And you've probably heard the stories of the Windrush yeah. kind of scenario. Um, you know, um, hearing the stories of my dad um, coming from church in an evening. Um, mind you, the, the church was formed because of what we call this race scenario. Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. where many of the black men who had found faith or had faith wanted to go to church. So they ended mm. up going to uh, many of the white Anglican and um, uh, white white churches. Uh, mm. But as I said, in those days, uh, racism was very, very overt. So many of them were asked not to come back uh, because they because of the colour of their skin, because th- they offended uh, the members in the church. Um, many of them were leaders, and, and the truth of the matter is that because of that, that's why we have the black black yeah. majority church here, the yeah, BMA yeah, yeah. You know, church. Um, it was birthed out of a response to racism. Yeah. So here I am, a young man, being protected from it because, uh, you know, my dad, like I said, my dad would tell me stories of, you know, coming home, uh, on the way home from church, him and his friends, and having to run and hide behind dustbins in the front yards of people's houses yeah. because they've been chased by um, a group of white men who are out mm. to beat them up, or, or even, uh, like I say, um, harm them. Um, so they feared for their lives, um, mm. and and having to protect us as the young people. So my life was really about. Um, school and activities around school, um, mm. church, very much a lot of church, because yeah. the only thing that they could um, rely on um, was, was prayer. They prayed for their lives. Yeah, yeah. They, they prayed for their lives. And, you know, um, and when I look back now, I, I can see why they protected me. So I didn't really experience racism until I was a, a little bit older. Um, as mm. I, I mean, overt racism that my father spoke about. Um, so, you know, the likes of things where somebody spits in your face and calls yeah. you a blackness, you know, I experienced that. And it's yeah. like, whoa, you know, what's my response to that? I I think I I think I want to hit you, but uh, there's, there's quite a few of you guys around and I, I, I fear that uh, my life might be at risk. You know, what do mm. I do when you spat in my face and my wife's face? And, and I'm like, what did I do to you? I'm just walking on the street yeah. here. Anyway, but these are some of the incidents that I experienced. So that's where I'm coming from, from a context of um, what we call, call race. So I'm yeah. birthed into this, um, this place where I'm protected uh, a lot from yeah. the, overt, um, the overt climate in the 60s. Um, yeah. I become acutely aware of it, obviously, uh, when I'm in school, obviously, I... I I'm, I'm, I'm suppose I'm a gifted kind of music kid in school. Um, I started Where did playing... that all start, the music? Where, well, what, what was the I first start, thing? I started playing guitar at six years old. Wow. Yeah, um, my dad was a guitarist. So my mum died when I was five. And oh, um, so um, my, my mum died when I was five. And, um, and um, so I, I would spend a lot of evenings with my dad um, mm. watching him play his guitar, which was part of his mourning process, I think. But he was also mm. part of the church band, so he used that to practice. Yeah. So I, I became like, my dad's my greatest hero, and man, I want to play yeah. guitar. So at five, mm. he put his guitar in my hand, which I couldn't even hold too tough, and, <laughs> taught, me, and taught me three chords, and and actually just watered the gift. And I became um, incredibly, um, my God, you know, turned on by guitars. So yeah. um, I learned everything that 
I could in my dad's record collection, which was country and western. Uh, most people kind of thought, well, you're from the Caribbean, why not reggae? But uh-huh. reggae was a music that was looked on as devil music because it was mainstream. Uh-huh. So the, 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 the black Caribbean church wouldn't use reggae in their repertoire. Wow. A bit like, um, um, in some ways, uh, rock music um, yeah. and parts of rock music that won't be used in church because it's associated with... Um, yeah. you know, I've since then done lots of teaching on there's nothing wrong with music. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. the spirit behind music, uh, because music's the only thing that we have in the world that's given to us by God that can hold a man's intention, revelation, and emotion mm. in a single note at megahertz three four four one, and that <laughs> that emotion, intention, revelation is felt by another person, and they experience yeah. everything that uh, the person playing that note who has put. Uh, their feeling, emotion, and revelation in that note. It's the only thing we have, but that's why it's a gift mm. of God. But that's mm. another that's another story, for another teaching for another time. <laughs> so I, that's just a freebie. Yeah, that's a freebie. <clears throat> Hence why, you know, when we when we talk about music, um, so I, I began listening to all the country and western albums that my dad had and learning, you know, uh-huh. G, C, and D, E minor, A minor. Um, so by the time I was uh, uh, seven, uh, eight, I was quite proficient, so actually going into I was playing in church. So going into yeah. school, I was way ahead of um, all the yeah. kids in school. But my school um, saw that and uh, started. Um, I started learning classical guitar. Um, mm. Amazing teacher called John, and um, I did that up to a grade seven in classical guitar. And at the same time, mm-hmm. I was doing p- piano, and yeah. um, and then I found an instrument that I I, I really liked uh, playing. And that was double bass. So by the oh, time I was 12, awesome. 13, I was playing double bass in a local orchestra, uh, which is in Brent, and um, and in my teacher's jazz band. So, um, um, and then I was still playing at church, but it was around mm. the age of 11, 12 when I first heard gospel music. But before that, um, I met uh, a- another guy um, who lived on my road, and every day after school, I would stop by his house and hide behind a post while I heard him play, um, I heard these distortion sounds, this funky sound, all this kind of stuff coming from his house. And one day he caught me. And back in those days, you know, uh, things were, um, you know, weren't bad as a child. You don't, you don't do that. You don't tell your children to do that now. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But he invited me into his house and he had records, a whole wall full of records. He had a Fender Twin Reverb. Um, oh, he had a, he had a, 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 a uh, 335 Gibson and he had a Fender uh, Strat black black, black and a white Fender Strat and he had these pedals on the floor and I was like wow and he started playing all these records to me I heard Gary Moore I heard Eric wow. Clapton I heard Jimi Hendrix I heard um, oh the list goes on um, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. Beatles I heard rock music I heard ACDC um, I heard par- Parliament Parliament you know, Parliament Funk, his American Funk, band, yeah. and he would loan those records to me, and I would secretly play them at home. And, um, <laughs> and I what learned, would your dad have said? Oh, my dad was—he he would not allow that. But <laughs> I had these records in my room, um, and um, and I was learning the Santana stuff, and I was learning the Hendrix stuff, and mm. and here I was like, wow, into this rock thing, and I'd never heard gospel music per se, never mm. heard it mm. um, because gospel music came into my life because uh, the Windrush children who were born in the UK and those that were brought over by their parents uh, to live in the UK and be educated, there was in our church now about 60 
of them. And yeah. we didn't want to sing the songs that our parents sang. Our parents sang yeah. classic hymns. Send the light, the blessed gospel light, let it shine. You know, those kind of hymns, you know. Yeah. All to Jesus I surrender. It was very much a um, a very, I call it not white evangelical. Well, I suppose it would be white evangelical with a hint of, um, with a hint of Caribbean choruses in the evening. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we didn't want to sing those songs, but but here we were searching for for a sound that represented us and what mm. presented itself was black America. Mm. Um, before that, I had not known much about black America apart from the Motown records that I'd listened to and played and learned yeah, in my yeah. bedroom um, and tried to bring that sound into my local church because one of the great things about growing up, we didn't have any music charts like you do have now. And if the song isn't played like the record, then you're not playing the song right. And um, But I still um, I, I apply the same creativity to what I do now in that the songs that we the songs that we heard that we didn't have music for we made up the music to it <laughs> hence awesome. why our ability to hear music and play it um, just by you know what I call acute sense or acute ability to play by ear as they would say yeah. Um, yeah. there's things that you've learned applying it to the music because there's no music chart that says well we go from a G to a C to an E minor so we go well why don't we start in the E minor and then go to the, then go to the the fifth, um, and let's change that chord to a diminished chord, because um, that sounds better. Because that's the note I hear. Well, mm. it's not really a note I hear, but so having having that ability to apply stuff, and all the music music stuff that I put in my school, decided that um, when my guitar teacher was ill around when I was fifteen, that they'd send me to Goldsmiths College, and and that's when I was introduced wow. to jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was introduced to jazz. Um, I got permission to leave school, leave school on a f- Wednesday afternoon, so I studied jazz composition and improvisation uh, for like a term, couple of terms, and um, yeah. again that stayed with me. And and I suppose applying it to what I was doing every week, and every week for me looked like on a Sunday morning church, on a Sunday evening church, on a Monday Monday night there was some church activity that I had to play at. On a Wednesday night, there was a church activity, and on a Friday night. So my mm. actual week was filled with most evenings going to church. Mm. After mm. doing your homework, you had to be ready to go to church. <laughs> then you'd get home at 9 o'clock or 9.30, and, well, it depends on who the meeting was. If it was a prayer meeting, it could be a bit longer. Um, but So that's my upbringing in terms of um, music, worship, and life, really. I am a witness of his unfailing love. Shame, disgrace, sitting all out the eye. Oh no, for his blood, redeemer like my blood. He's able, God of wonders. You've grown up with this enormously diverse musical education, country, gospel, rock classical you've got all these influences and you've been very much part of the the black majority church now your reach is so much wider than you know simply the black majority church you're in churches all over the world um how do you find people perceive you when they when they see you what what are their assumptions what what have been some of your your kind of experiences of of being a black artist in the worship world. So I, I became a part of Graham Kendrick's band, and that's where I mm. think 
and I, I stayed in Graham with Graham's band for about um, seven years. Yeah. And it became acute to me that there were two worlds existing. So here I was yeah. showing up at meetings with Graham and there may have been two, 3,000 people there, actually bigger meetings. Mm. And I'd look out in the audience and I would see very few people that looked like me. Very mm. few. I, I remember being uh, in, in a room and like uh, there was two of us on stage that were black, myself and Steve Thompson. Yeah. I looked out in this room that had... Uh, maybe three or 4,000 people and there was no other black face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember doing Spring Harvest and and uh, uh, seeing, wow, a, a, a room of 7,000 people mm. and no black people that I could visibly mm. see. Mm. And I became acutely aware because at the same time I was doing, I was now the, the national music director for the Church of God of Prophecy, which was mm. one of the large uh, black-led denominations. Mm. At the time, it was about seven, 8,000, maybe 10,000 people. And I was the main musician putting together the yeah. whole music program. And here I was talking about worship because I had an encounter with God. Yeah. And my encounter with God uh, touched me to my core. It changed me forever. The validity of that, because, you know, I, I learned that God doesn't use a man unless he gives him an experience. Mm. So I have this encounter with God that I, I, I can't explain it. And God gives me the explanation for his presence. So I start using the term worship in my church and worship leader. And there wasn't a term called that mm. in my church. Yeah. Um, you know, I talk to people now, I said, what do you do? I'm a worship leader. It didn't exist, uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s. I was a young guy mm. and, and, and I'd met this guy called Graham who was, who was described as a worship leader. Mm. And I felt somewhere along the line that God said to me that, well, not somewhere, he did. I called you for the house. Mm. Now, I thought that the house was my... Uh, local church which is about 500 black people in mm -hmm. Harlesden mm. I didn't need anything outside of that because uh, you've got a church of 500 people you've got a choir young people of 100 a church was the life of everything our music we were able to express ourselves fully in our music it wasn't mm. you know I mean you name it funk whatever was happening in the mainstream man we were bringing it to church <laughs> and we were putting it in the song so you know a, a song like Shine You Just Shine would not sound like Graham's version <laughs> there'd be a, quite a lot of different chords in it yeah we might change the rhythm a little bit always maintaining the melody because that's that's the mm. actual game yeah 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 yeah. the actual game yeah, you don't the change the melody up, or the words rest is up for grabs yeah you know um <laughs> So in meeting Graham, uh, I had a an epiphany, a spiritual epiphany, where I realised that when God said He called me for the called me for the house, that mm. what He was calling me to do was to lead people in worship, yeah. uh, which was summed up with just reveal Jesus 
in the songs so people can yeah. respond. So I kind of get my definition of worship from that, that yeah. uh, worship is humanity's response to the revelation of who Jesus is. Mm. In that in that moment of epiphany, I I become really hungry for the presence of God. Yeah. And it really marks me. Um, yeah. It marks me in such an incredible way that when I think back nearly 30 years ago, that very moment is still real in, in my soul. Mm. This mm. desire for his presence, not the music. Mm. It went mm. beyond the music because in my life I had experiences that the music couldn't help me with. Mm. And because it couldn't help me, the only thing I had was the presence of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not a product of music. Mm, mm. I'm a product of the presence of God that said that that did what it said it would do. Mm, I'm a lifter mm. of your head. Mm. I am your provider. I'm your protector. Mm. I'm your deliverer. I'm your mm. healer. So I began to realize that this encounter with God was something more than me just playing chords and being a great musician. Mm, mm. And I realized it was all about the presence of God. The issue I had mm, was mm. the system. Yeah. The system that was there would not recognize, so my, my own black church movement would not recognize a worship leader. Yeah. Because it, it wasn't part of their language. It was a song leader. Mm. And the reason why many of the black worship leaders are so excellent at singing is because most of them don't play instruments. Mm -hmm. And the black Pentecostal church, the model of the church, the worship, the music is always off to one side. Mm. And the singers mm. take center stage. Hence why um, singing is the primary gift of worship in the black church expression. Mm. Um, hence why many white people get intimidated by uh, black singers, but yeah. all they're doing is is practicing their gift. I came yeah. late to the singing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so most of our singers emulated the sounds that they heard, a bit like my accent is London. Why? Mm. Because I was born in London. Yeah. Because everybody around me speaks like this. I don't have a yeah. Caribbean accent because I wasn't born in Car the Caribbean. I wasn't born in Africa. I don't have an American accent because I wasn't born there. Mm. My culture is British. My language is British. Everything about me is British. But everything about me has a dual heritage to it. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm Caribbean. Yeah. Ethnicity with a British so yeah. I am two cultures in one. Yeah, so I don't yeah, have yeah. a problem communicating with white folk, if that makes sense, if it's a black and white yeah. issue, because yeah. I am part of the culture. So this epiphany that happens now begins to trouble my spirit mm. because everything that God begins to show me is not about color and separation. Mm. It's about unity mm. and but there are systems that exist. One that doesn't identify me as, as a worship leader because 
it's brand new and there are no black worship leaders yeah. that I can go, well, I'm going to be like him. So many yeah. people could say, well, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be a, a Hendrix because I see Hendrix or I'm going to be a, 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 you know, this is what we do as young people. I'm going to be a this. There was nothing like that apart yeah. from black America, mm. you know? Uh, so the, the issue around it, there was another system that existed as well. That although I could play in that system, although I could play in that system, but I'd never be allowed to stand in the front. Mm. So the word black became synonymous with, or the word gospel became really the definition of gospel or black. Yeah. The yeah, word yeah. gospel, because even now, probably in your language, and subconsciously, you go, ah, oh, that's, that's gospel. Mm, and you're yeah. not really talking about the style of music. Yeah. You're yeah. actually talking about the color of a man's skin. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of like. Did you experience that? You experienced that today with people saying, oh, oh he's yeah. a gospel artist. He's in the gospel charts. Da, 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 da. Totally. Right. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, I had a church ring me and it's a real experience. Not too long mm. ago, a huge church, massive church ring me. And I'm talking about, you know, not in this country, in Europe. Yeah. And they're a bit behind with the stereotype thing. Yeah. And, and the color, you know, the, the uh, race appropriation thing. And they asked me to come and do a, 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 a Oh Happy Day night. Basically oh, a gospel gosh. night. So yeah. me, me being the kind of guy that I am, and I've learned to confront it in love and grace and just mm. try to help people with understanding you know our people love uh gospel music and you know so i said what songs do you want to sing and he started talking about well oh happy day this is the light of mine Gosh. and and i basically said to him um i i don't do those songs and he goes yeah. oh man i thought you'd you know you're cool and, and i basically said to him I said, I don't mind talking to you about worship, Abrahamic worship, the model of Abrahamic worship, the model of Mosaic worship, mm. the model of Davidic worship and all what it means and history, the Reformation and stuff like that. Yeah. But actually, I'm, I'm a bit oh happy day out. <laughs> and actually, I'm an artist with six, seven albums. Yeah. And if you listen to my music, there may be one song or a couple of songs that you can find that that represent me and my heart, yeah. rather than you ask me to represent someone else's heart. Yeah. And I basically said to him, I know that you would not ask Martin Smith to come and sing Oh Happy Day. Yeah, yeah, Neither yeah. would you ask Matt Redman. Yeah. And if you ask Tim Hughes, he might come along and sing, Oh, happy day. <laughs> and yeah. I went... Or some some 60s worship chorus, you know? Yeah, whatever. You wouldn't, you wouldn't and I go... Those guys and I go but you've looked at me and you've prejudged me. Yeah. And you've put me in a box that says yeah. your worth is in a sound that we allow you to bring. Mm -mm. And I, I decided to stand up and say, no, I'm not the guy for that. Sorry. And I, and I began to explain to him what it meant to be a stereotype. Mm -mm. And especially with a culture like America that is so dominant, black America is so dominant 
around the world that most white British people and Europeans will take their lead and definition from mm. black America rather than from the black people that are around them. Yeah. It means that a black American would not have a problem singing our happy day. Mm. Uh, because it's part of their heritage. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not my heritage. No. Therefore, I realised that the unbiased thinking around that was all about my skin colour. Yeah, yeah. The great thing about it is that they ran back a few days later because I thought that I declined it, said sorry. It's a great opportunity. I'm an itinerant ministry and I don't turn down a lot of things, but I have mm. to turn that down because... Yeah. And they came back and they, they went, my God, we apologise we are so sorry. We did not realize that this is an offense yeah. to you yeah. and the black people around us. Yeah. We've listened to your albums and we found these amazing songs. Wow. Why haven't we heard them? <laughs> why haven't we heard them before? And yeah. I go, I'm a part of a system yeah. that's put me in a box that's told yeah. me this is as far as I can go. Yeah. So my heart has always been to uh, to show people mm. that there is there is a depth and a reality to my own experience mm. that's mm. not based on these happy clappy songs yeah that you've put on me yeah nothing yeah, against yeah. oh happy day my guys are always no, saying yeah. why are you doing that I used to direct choirs so I know what I'm talking <laughs> about yeah you know, I, I can talk about instances, you know, being invited to lead worship at uh, Spring Harvest, you know, and um, being told, look, Noel, you, you you can't do it like how you do it in a black church. You've got to tailor it down. Don't talk to the audience. Don't do this stuff. And I'm like going, wow. well, you're painting a picture of me and you want me to put on somebody else's armour. Yeah. yeah. Why is it that you don't trust my Britishness to connect with yes. white people? Yeah. Or were you trying to protect the white people from the black Noel Robinson? Yeah. It showed up in, I'm just giving you some examples. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's great. Where the record label, the record label is, is quite interesting. I'm signed to Integrity and Integrity's done amazing things in the last four or five years. Mm. You know, um, in the last four or five years to challenge the status quo of people's mm. thinking mm. and I remember uh, back in a day where uh, you know I was released at the same time as another well-known worship leader yeah. but in the system I was licensed and being licensed meant that they they would take your product and market it and sell it yeah and the first thing was, I said, I don't want my product to go in the black section because it's a worship album. Yeah. But it was placed there. Yeah. I remember going into a CLC shop in London and taking all my albums out of the black section <laughs> because I was so hurt. Yeah. I was so hurt. Yeah. And putting it in the worship section with Matt, Tim, Martin Smith, yeah. Paul Balosh. 
and the people in the shop was like, what are you doing, sir? There was a rep in there at the time going, excuse me, what are you doing? And I went, I'm moving oh, these albums to the right place. Yeah. And I was, I was actually in tears mm. because I couldn't believe after all the conversations that I had that it was placed there. And the people in the shop recognised who I was. They went, oh my gosh, you're Noel Robinson. You're the guy on the album. And I said, they go, mm. okay. And I explained to them why. And the rep heard. And he was like, well, it's the way the system is. I'm sorry. You're going to have to be in the black section. Yeah. And I said, but I'm a worship leader. Well, we don't really have any black worship leaders. We we got hooked up about this um, because I posted a, an article that was written by Annie Lope Thyssen. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing your name. Annalie? Annalie Lope Thyssen, um, which was about the song Waymaker, which is obviously an enormous song. And she's pointing out that this is written by a Nigerian songwriter who I believe you know, Sinak. Yeah, Sinak, yes, a friend of mine. You know, this has become this enormous song worldwide and the versions which are generally shared and known and used are the ones by white artists. And she was kind of making the point that actually in these times, could we not do better in actually lifting up the fact that this was written by a female Nigerian worship songwriter and and our mutual friend Andy Flanagan said hey you should get Noel to talk about this and you've had other experiences of this because your I guess your songs have also been recorded by white artists um and yeah I just really love to get your perspective on this my perspective on it is that um many many years ago I was asked by uh, the record company to uh, you know I told you about how we grew up with music and we're able yeah. to flip a song, different styles, different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and I, I was asked to do an album of the top 10 CCLI songs mm. to, to produce and create with a, a different style on it uh-huh. so the songs could be brought into the, uh, the black community, so to speak, that kind of thing. Um, and I am. Um, I was really excited about this because I was like, "Wow, yeah, I'm going I'm to do this job." Da da da. <laughs> and again, I have an epiphany where the Holy Spirit arrests me. And I'm being honest. The words that came to me were, "I have blessed you and gifted you in such an incredible way, and you're going to use your ability to propagate somebody else's seed." when I planted so many yeah. seeds in you. Yeah. And I actually went back to the company and says, oh, I, I, I don't think I'm going to do it. Why? And I said, I'm not going to do it until you sing my songs. I'm not going to sing your song until you sing my songs. Yeah. Yeah. Because I noticed that you want me to sing your songs and I have been singing your songs. My, yeah. my, my worship repertoire at that time was filled with 80% of songs written by white worship leaders and yeah. I was I was just doing them in a soulful way yeah and I was translating them but none of those worship leaders were singing my songs mm. there was no white worship leader that was saying hey this is a great song let's do it because I would say most of them lived in an unconscious bias yeah so I didn't yeah. do that and they thought that I was a little bit hard and I got kind of labeled as a bit of a troublemaker I've got testimony to that simply because I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sing your song until you sing my song. Why is it always that way? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the truth of the matter is that it was until last year that, um, or two years ago, that Leland, mm. uh, on the same Waymaker album that he wrote, he sang Waymaker, rang me and asked me to fly to America and be a part of mm. his his album because he wanted to sing the song Rain. Yeah. I found it quite interesting because I found here's a white guy not just wanting to sing my song, but actually wanted me to be a part of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. And before that, there was very few worship leaders, white worship leaders, that would even want to stand with me and share on the platform. You know, yeah. I've done it with quite a few, but many wouldn't. So for me, it was like, wow, wow. And, yeah. and I felt that what Leland did, because it's a system, he gave me and Sinatch on that album dignity. Mm, mm. Dignity. Yeah. Because recognizing someone in a system, hearing their story, and actually you telling their story gives their story dignity. Yes. Yeah. And I suppose that's been the that's been the whole thing. I felt that the system I, I don't understand how I can be a musician and I can play for the leading artist globally. You name mm. them from I mean I'm talking about the black church expression in the UK. Yeah. Can play for the likes of they're in a studio with you two yeah. doing backing vocals. They're they're uh, singing for and playing for George Michael and all the major artists mm. that have global impact that are celebrated completely in this country as icons. And there's guys in my local church that I grew up with that are playing for these guys. Mm. And they have the ability, but then you have a white Christian system that even today struggle with finding, I'm, I'm talking about, we've got guys that sang at the Royal wedding. Yeah. 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 Now yeah. this is the issue. If I have to do all of that, one of my albums was, yeah, we'll take your album on to license it. If you get Matt Redmond to sing on it, Ron Canoli to sing on it and Fred Hammond. Mm. Mm. Now, I don't know what God did, but I, I was Ron Canoli's MD for mm. many years as a musician. Wow. So I rang him wow. and said, Ron, can you sing on my album? And Ron Canoli sang on my album. Wow. Matt Redman was a friend of mine from way back when. Yeah. And I'd done lots of things with Matt, joint things where I was leading, he was leading. I rang Matt and said, Matt, would you sing one of my songs on my album? Mm. And Matt goes, no problem. So I get two out of three and I go, well, I've got the two out of three. Will you license my album? Yeah, we'll license it now. And I thought, my God, I've had to jump through hoops yeah. to be given dignity. Mm. I look at my fellow musicians who mm. every week, week in, week out, well, not at the moment, you see them on the platforms headlining at Glastonbury being the finalist on all the singing shows. Yeah. They love the Lord and they want to do gospel. But here is a system 
that yeah. puts them in a box and says that yeah. you're really gifted, but you don't look like we can use you. And yeah. none of the festivals in the UK honour black mm. British artist. Mm. Mm. None of them. And I have to say it, and maybe this is the opportunity to say it, I've done yeah. a few festivals, but they don't yeah. really honour because what mm. they prefer to do, and this is the insult for me, they prefer yeah. to honour their black America because right, that's right, the box right. they work with. Yeah. yeah. So when I honour Jodie Natty, I'm honour the Britishness and the amazing gifting that she is because you know her, I know yeah. that I'm using her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I honour Junior Gar and I honour Jake Isaacs, these are British mm. guys that, They've come after me, but I honour their gift and I honour their sound. And I go, yeah. yeah, that's the reason why I started doing the renewal. Because mm. the renewal was me saying that you don't have to be like that. Your yeah. platforms don't have to be colour-based. Yeah. They have to be content-driven. Yeah. So I have, I've had Martin Smith, Matt Redman, Tim Hughes, Hillsong, yeah. Worship Central. Yeah. I've had the, the guys come and stand on my altar. I don't see it as a platform. Mm. They may have, mm. but it's an altar. Mm. I've mm. had the Spanish-speaking church, which I've mm. helped to bring dignity. I've had the Portuguese-speaking church, the yeah. Polish church, the Bulgarian, the Tamil. The, the Because in our society, there is something, and I know the dominant culture is predominantly white, and it has a white context to it, but there's something about bringing dignity to people yeah. By, yeah. by allowing them to tell their story and giving them centre stage. Yeah. I've had the African Nigerians, the Ghanaians, the Zimbabweans, and we've all stood in the building on the altar and said, where's your offering? Yeah. Sing what you would yeah. sing. Yeah. And I'm not judging you by whether you are super duper gifted or you are, you, you can play the chords right. The fact that you bring your heart to this place honours the presence of God. Mm. This is what I'm talking about. So when you see, when we talk about systematic stuff, we have to take into consideration that it's biblical. Yeah. It suggested that Moses' wife was black, hence the kickback against his wife. Okay, wow. It suggested that Peter, who received the prophetic word from Jesus, when Jesus asked, whom do you say I am? Yeah. And, and what happens is that Peter goes, thou art Christ. He has a revelation of Jesus. An incredible mm. revelation. And Jesus goes, my God, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. I'm going to build my church around this revelation. And Peter becomes the first leader of the church. He experiences the upper room, the encounter where the Holy Spirit comes like never before. He sees things that he's never seen. He walks out that room, speaking another language. His shadow heals people. Man, he becomes the voice of the church. And he's got racism in his heart. Wow. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Check check yeah. who we are. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean maybe we wanna maybe we we wanna say no, but I'm a product of a, of a system that says I couldn't be because there was not a phrase that said, Well, a black man could be a worship leader. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you look around at your world, apart from the few that forefront but i can i can find 1000 1000 worship leaders in here where i am and they don't look like you they're not white they're black and who am i to say yeah. that you're not a worship leader 
Because if yeah. the colour of the skin determines what they are, woo! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And this is why the church is so important in this season. Thank you for allowing me to speak about this. You see, the world made boxes. Mm. And they allowed things to happen in a box. So, for example, mm. when jazz came, you're a jazz musician when you're def- you're not defined by the colour of your skin. Mm. You, they'll give you a bit of music say, can you play this in bebop or can you play this in free jazz or can you improvise over this? What colour are you? We don't really care what colour you are. Can you yeah. do it? Yeah, 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 yeah. When, when, we, when we look in a world where, where people are not defined by the genre, the number one mm. gospel choir for many years in Europe was a choir called the Oslo Gospel Choir. There was <laughs> yeah, not yeah. one black face in it, but yeah. they were allowed to call gospel choir because they were using the form of gospel music, the contrapuntal mm. harmonies, the, the, way, mm. the way melody and, and voices coming together brought this big, rich sound, and they did it in a, in a particular style. You know, every music has a form to it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you can't tell, you can't play jazz and tell a blues musician that blues musician that you're playing blues. He'll look at you saying you've mm. got too many notes in it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and yeah. you know, classical music, baroque music, and romantic music are all part of the classical period. They're all different. They got formulas yeah. to them that yeah. that actually give them identity. The identity is not in the colour of a man's skin. So I don't, I don't believe that music can originate from an experience, but it, it not necessarily has to remain in that experience. So the blues yeah. was yeah. was birthed out of uh, black American slavery, mm. right? But it's it's not a music that just talks about slavery. It really is about oppression of humanity. So any yeah, of us yeah, can yeah. sing the blues. That's why you've got all these white blues guitarists and singers, John Mayer, Eric Clapton, mm. and the list goes on. And what are they singing? They're singing the blues, not because they experience slavery, but they experience oppression and, mm. and all these things. And the blues gives voice to it. So they yeah, learn yeah, the yeah. style. They, they inc- not incubate, they saturate themselves in the style of that music because it speaks to them. In the mm. same way that I might have a, a, a white friend or black friend who, man, he loves classical music. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and he doesn't listen to R&B. He don't listen to, he might have no, it, it, it doesn't, that's not his thing. He puts on yeah. a bit of um, Tchaikovsky, or puts on a bit of this, and guess what? <laughs> he sits down and, it, and he has an experience listening to mm. the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who's playing the piano? We don't know if the guy playing the piano is black or white. Mm. Because he's not measured by, you don't have a black pianist playing a classical piece by Tchaikovsky, and then you say, oh, that's a black pianist. No, it's like his name is, and he's playing it. And it so happens that you find out that he's black, you go, wow, I didn't realise that he was black. It's not obvious because I can't see him. I can't see him on the record. What what I'm trying to say, and in the church, we've done this. We've perpetuated this thing where we go, uh, well, we see colour. And there's nothing wrong because God sees colour. Yeah. But our prejudging. Yes. Our prejudging. Yeah. Takes us to another place. Yes. What two words I hear you say, and I'm, I think these are so, for me, these are at the heart of it. 
you talk about a system and you talk about dignity. Those are the words that are coming across most strongly. And I feel like a lot of the problem is we're so individualist that when we hear talk about racism, people get very defensive and go, well, I'm not racist, rather than saying, hold on, I am part of a system. Thank and this you. system is racist. And That's honestly, what I'm saying. And what, and what I'm hearing you say is, like, that is in the world. It's also in the church. It's also in this worship bubble that we've created, you know. Okay, where... let's, let's, let's go there. Let's go there. Five years ago, when you look at what we call worship and all the worship houses producing music, mm. you know what I'm talking about. Mm. Jesus Culture, Hillsong, and uh, you name them, IHOP. Mm. That's no bad. But all the major worship houses that are feeding the worship community with the songs. Mm. Worship Central, that's number one, that's local, closer. And you look at this and you go, whoa, not one black face. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, to them it's, it's maybe not an issue. And I'm not saying it should be because I don't think that you can replicate a look if you've got nobody that looks like that in your church, in your community. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I'm not saying that you should intentionally go out, let's find, oh, there's a, there's a black guy in our church. He's got to stand on the stage with us. No, I don't yeah. think you should do that. That's not dignity. That's like, no. yeah, that's, to- that's tokenism. Yeah. I'm saying, uh, you see churches that are 60, 70% uh, congregationally black. Yeah. But leadership and worship team predominantly white but all white I have something wrong with that picture yeah I have something wrong with that picture that uh, that you are now propagating to me songs that touch heaven and bless God but you can't see a problem with it that you have yeah. you have in your subconscious yeah. so like I said Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit stands up and says, you men of Jerusalem, we are not drunk as you supposed, but we've just had an encounter with heaven. And what you see here are men that are endowed with the power from heaven. And we preach Christ and him crucified. And we don't come with the excellency of speech, but we come in a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And lives are healed. They cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And then God goes to Peter, bruv, I've got a problem with you. And Peter's like, what are you talking about, God? You called me. I'm filled with your spirit. I'm speaking your word. I am seeing people saved. I'm seeing the word of, word in me come alive. I'm seeing the church grow. 3,000 added to the church. And God goes, I've got a problem with you because you've got racism in your heart and you don't know it because that part of you is cultural that part of you is ingrained in you because yeah. of the jewish context and i walked yeah. with you for th- you were the disciples for all those years and what i was trying to show you that mm. my my walk with you was about a heart walk was a mm. purity of heart blessed a day mm. which were pure in heart 
everything I was saying was leading up to this moment where you're going to have to make a choice because you're going to have to go and talk to a man about me Hmm. who your culture and your thinking you would walk on the other side of the road. You have prejudged him as an alien. You've prejudged him as unclean. And he gives him the picture of the, he goes, God, I've never, this is the thing. I've never, I've never anything unclean, Lord. I've kept your laws. Yeah. And yet still God goes, I don't think you get it. Mm. Until Mm. you acknowledge that maybe in your heart, there's a bias that you have not realized that has been passed down to you. Yeah. In the same way that the context of being a slave may not be in your vocabulary, but in my vocabulary it is because I would say I'm from the Caribbean. I'm not African from Africa who, who's not experienced slavery. I've experienced mm. oppression, but I would say that my great-great-grandmother or grandfather were slaves mm. of mm. British plantations. Mm. Maybe 150, 180 years ago. That's all I'm saying. Mm. It's Mm. in my head. And I'm not saying that you got to say sorry. I'm going to say, hold on a second. Are you aware? Yeah. Are you aware that your thinking, your thinking has been taught to you? Because in the same way that I have a British accent and I was born in England and when I go to Jamaica, they look at me and they go, you ain't Jamaican. Mm. And I go, yes, I am. They go, no, you ain't. You don't sound like us. You don't look like us. And then I go, well, I must be British. And here I'm part of a system of a Christian community. So all I'm doing now, I'm not pointing anybody out as a racist. No way at all. Hmm. Because if we're products of our culture, when God reveals to heal, we've got to take note. And taking hmm. note is the conversation me and you are having. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. to you that you are. I'm saying to you, if Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, man, was yeah. one of the most amazing men that we speak about in the Bible, he was called of God, done the work of God, miracles, signs yeah. and wonders. But what was found in him yeah. was he had a bias. Yeah. If you checked your heart, what do you think you would find? Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. I I think something that people will need help with if they're anything like me is we hear this word dignity and we hear the stuff about the, the music styles being formulas and they may come out of one culture, but anyone can learn that formula. And I know that I have wrestled with what I perceive as the importance of singing songs from other cultures. Because if I only sing songs from my culture, then I'm not celebrating the breadth. I'm not giving dignity, um, you know, to the fullness of the people of God. Um, But I think something that people worry about is the kind of, whether you call it cultural appropriation or whether you call it... So, so well, someone said to me, you know, when you hear white people play reggae, it always sounds awful, right? And he said to me, that's the same problem with white worship leaders trying to do black styles. And I didn't agree with that, but I think that that is a perception 
that is out there and how how can how can we take steps towards having a broader repertoire but in such a way that gives dignity okay can i can i i'm going to throw a couple of stories in here the songs that i write like i said i'm from a different context the songs that i write are melodic they're written in english mm. they're not that hard to play they're not that hard to sing because mm. half my band or quarter of my band is white they play the songs exactly how I want them to play it because yeah. one of the remits are I don't care what colour you are one uh, of the keys in my band uh, because I'm itinerant and we with, we hold a standard yeah. and a standard's got to be part of it it's got to be musical Yeah, I don't care what colour you are or where you're from if you can't sing it and you can't hold harmonies you can't, can't, you can't be with me Yeah, because the requirement of my music is that the singers have to be able to sing in harmony. You may have a beautiful tone, but if you don't understand harmony, you're going to struggle. Mm. And rather than put you through that, right? You see, we majored, and we've been majoring on an expression, and this is deeper than that expression. I don't think anybody's asking anyone to try and do a black thing. I'm going to give you another story. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, I was invited to do a worship set at a, a very big event up north um, they wanted me just to come along and I'd work with their band and uh, I was like yeah fine so I sent, sent through some of my my songs because I, I, I you know doing covers is not the way at the moment for me in that kind of way mm. so I sent yeah. through my songs and I sent through songs that I, I believe that they can they can do and they mm. learned them very well they actually said to me, wow, it was great just learning something fresh, doing something different. Yeah. And you've, you've added a few little things in there, little riffs and stuff that we got our teeth into. So I'm yeah. giving you, if you feed people potato and you tell a generation <laughs> that potato is what you eat yeah. and then you add rice to it and you ask them, have you ever tried rice? And they'll probably decline it because, and then you ask the question, have you ever tried rice? They'll go, no. And I go, so how do you know you don't like it? <laughs> because you've already prejudged. Yeah. I'm just showing you. So this band, you know, um, they learnt the songs that I gave them. Some, most of the songs that I gave them, I said, do it in the best way you can. We'll work it out when we get to rehearsal. But something struck me when it came to singing Rain. So I said to them, yeah, we're going to do Rain. They go, yeah, we love that song. So I said to the band, and I have to admit, the band was white. Not a problem. They yeah. did really well. The drummer was really cool. They may have been a little bit on edge because I'm a musician. And they're like, mm. going, oh my God, we've got to get the music right. Like, we all are. I mean, when I'm playing yeah. for other men, I'm, I've got to get the music right. I don't, you know. Yeah. So they started playing the song and I went, oh, you, you've changed, your, you've changed it, a slight arrangement. And they went, I said, what version of Rain did you listen to? And they said to me, ah, oh, we listened to Leland's. And I went, why did you listen to Leland's? Ah, oh, because um, oh, we thought that was a really cool version of it. Mm. So I said, have you ever heard my version of it? Mm. And they went, no, we've never heard your version. And I went, um, I wrote the song. Yeah. And they went, oh. and I said, as a musician, if you had written a song and you asked me to play mm. for you, but mm. other people had covered it. Whose version do you think I should listen to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would I go? And I went, 
I wonder if that's an unconscious bias. I remember speaking to a well-known worship leader, well-known, famous, very famous song. He wrote this song and he was like, wow, no, man, I just love it. I've just heard a version of my song sang by a, a black American worship leader. Oh, my God, it's amazing. And the song has gone far. And he was just celebrating that song. And I turned around and said, yeah, but have you sang his song? And he goes, I, I don't really know his songs. And I go, why not? Well, yeah. I, I, um, I never really. And I go, that's to show you your thinking. Your thinking is that you are quite excited about somebody of a different culture singing your song, but you yeah. weren't kind of cool on singing their song. Mate, mm. what does that sound like? Mm. What does that sound like? Yeah, yeah. I can eat with you on the street, but you can't come to my house. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you want to call me friend. Get out. Yeah, yeah. Are you seeing it and now? I, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we. it feels to me like, you know, it was still wrong, but, you know, 50, 100, whatever years ago, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the communication that we have nowadays. And so it was harder to get together. It was harder to, you know, record across cultures or whatever. But it feels to me now we use all this technology to broadcast this stuff globally. So people in Africa or Asia or oh, yeah, totally. South America, they're, they're singing these songs from white artists, white worship leaders. We're sending it out there. But it feels to me like, why can't we use that same technology to hear their well, songs? Well, that is the power of Waymaker, Miracle <laughs> Because yeah. somebody introduced it to Michael W. Smith. Mm. And he went, wow. And, and we know that integrity are doing an amazing thing where they're trying to turn things on their head that the, the 15 or so writers that inform the church of what's next to sing, the worship houses that inform the church what's next to sing, they're trying to change that and say, hey, mm. that's that's cool, but there are other songs outside of that. Yeah. Rain and Rain and... And Sinatra's, which most certainly was a massive hit before it took it on. It had 100 million views before King's Integrity, I should say. Yeah. Signed, signed her. Yeah. So, you know, what I'm saying, the development of a song is determined by... I'll give you another example. So I do the mm. Renewal Worship Conference, which yeah, is a yeah. multicultural worship. I don't know if you've ever been to one. I haven't, no. Why not? That's another question for another time. But you know about it. <laughs> Like um, because oftentimes person. people go, oh, it's a black guy putting on a black event, and therefore it's not for me. It can't yeah. speak into my scenario. That's why they haven't come along. I met a white worship leader, quite a prominent one, who came for the first time a year, not last this year, but last year. He was blown away by the multicultural mm. thing of it, and he was blown away by the presence of God. And he goes, oh, my God, why haven't I come before? And I said, every year I send you an invite, and every year you decline it, you ask yourself the question. Did you decline it because you were busy or did you decline it because subconsciously you thought, well, it's a black guy putting on a black event rather than a black guy putting on a kingdom event 
that yeah. is meant to serve the church in a specific. Yeah. I'm just fr- throwing it in there. Not yeah. that I'm looking for people to come. I'm just throwing it in there. We've got to ask those questions. I have to yeah. ask my question, am I biased? Mm. And does the the scars of the scars of forgiveness speak loud to me why I sometimes have to be hard on my white friends? Yeah. yeah. And it gives it might give me an angst, oh gosh, Noel's just always in a mission about black and white, he's always talking about it. It's because I see it and I experience it. Yeah. And if I am signed to a label, if I'm doing multicultural events and I look at my fellow brethren who are just as gifted as me, some of them are even more gifted and they don't even get an opportunity. Mm. So I did a renewal event. At this event, um, I always invite the press and the press that are invited are the magazines come, Mm. the Christian press from Christianity, everybody. I also invite radio Razo producers, radio stuff, because the music's important. Mm. In this event, I had uh, Matt Redman, Hillsong, uh, Graham Kendrick, Stuart Townend, which were the white worship leaders. Um, the black worship leaders I had Moiwa, uh, Sonny Badu, Ghanaian, Moiwa Nigerian. Mm. I had Spanish-speaking, a girl called Marilyn. Um, she's one of the leading Spanish worship leaders in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, some input from a Tamil church Great. And, and, and this is what happened. The green room is filled with all these people because the green room is actually quite a really cool place. This is where everybody mixes. This is where relationships are formed. Mm. Right. And a producer of a well-known radio station, not just of a program, gets a press pass and comes into the green room and starts pulling out all the white worship leaders to interview them for their program. Oh, my word. I'm in the green room talking to lots of people, and I'm watching this unfold before my eyes. I don't have a problem because they're given the permission to interview all the worship leaders. Mm. And if you've ever seen a, a Kingdom Worship Movement renewal poster, you see all these faces on it. There's a reason why I put the faces on it. Yeah, yeah. And this person interviews every one of those guys. So I approached them and I went to them and I said, uh, I noticed that you're interviewing all the worship leaders. So uh, cheekily, as Noel does, do I get an interview? And most people who know me, they know that I'm cheeky. Like, do I get an interview? <laughs> I'm one of the worship leaders. And they sort of said, uh, I don't really know you. Um, and... Um, so I kind of just came along today. I got a press pass from the organisers and I just wanted to interview. Um, I thought it was the best place to interview some of these guys, that the music they play. And I said to her, why is it you only play their music? And she goes, well, they're the guys that do it. And I said to her, um, so why would you not interview me? She goes, I don't know you. And I said, why is it you don't play my music? She goes, I don't know you. So I, I just said to her, okay, well, uh, my name is Noel Robinson. I'm the host of the event. I'm the guy that put the event together. I'm actually a worship leader. She went, oh my God. She caught herself because she'd interviewed and fed into the system by interviewing all the white worship leaders Mm, mm. and didn't interview any black worship because they weren't known to her. Mm. But actually, 
I'm a black man that's put this event together. Mm. And why would you not interview me and ask me why did I put mm. this interview together? Because surely yeah, the purpose yeah. would help people to understand what we're trying to do in the worship fraternity. Since then, we've become really good friends. <laughs> so when I talk about this thing, I talk about a system that has indoctrinated people or caused people to think a particular way. Yeah. Yeah. And I spoke to an amazing singer the other day. She's white. And she said to me, I'm trying to understand white privilege. And I said to her, you work in the theater world. I said to her, I've got singers around me that can do everything that you can do. And I dare say some of them can do it better. White privilege is you get to do the audition because of mm. the way you look. Mm. And if you're turned down, they're going to turn you down and say, no, her voice is a bit too, too gospely or a bit too soulful. You'll yeah. get to turn down because of your talent. I said, most of your black contemporaries wouldn't get in the door. Now you know how I feel. Yeah. I'm not asking you to say sorry. Yeah. Because I know if I offend my wife or the people closest to me by saying something wrong or by having an attitude and I offend them, if I offend my daughter by saying, you can't do that, that's a man's job, and she goes, yeah. what? How, what? Dad, you're out of order. How can you say that? I go, oh, I'm sorry, my conditioning. Yeah. And now I have to go, I have to own that and go, wow, before I would have said that to you. But now I know that it offends you. Mm. And me very thinking, mm. what, what's in a man's heart? <laughs> my very <laughs> thinking mm. actually is an offence, even if you don't know it. Yeah. Then I have the That's ability right. That's right. to change that. Yeah, yeah. I go, why is the system biased against black Britain? Yeah, yeah. Is it because the style of music? No, but you live in a system that you've been fed potatoes mm. all your life. Mm. They've mm. told you that this is what worship looks like. I sat, at, I sat at a table with some company executives and I said, describe to me what a worship leader looks like, an anointed worship leader. And it's the truth. Yeah. What they yeah. described to me was my white contemporaries. So I yeah. said to them, from what you've just described, I now know that I am not anointed and I'm not a worship leader because mm. none of your description, mm. apart mm. from the heart, matches <laughs> me. And I went, no, 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 you are a worship leader. And I go, what are you seeing? I was not part yeah. of that yeah. definition. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Noel, would you pray for us? I can't yeah. think of a better way to close this up. Yeah. Hey, Father God, I just thank you for every opportunity. We get to tell you, tell your story. Yes. In the context of our story. Hmm. Lord, you're, you're mm. a God that we recognise that your story supersedes all our stories. That's right. Because when we embraced your story, you gave us a new story. Yes, Jesus. A story of redemption. A redemption of humanity that you love so much. That you went to the cross. Mm. 
not for a white church, mm. not for an African church, yeah. but you went to the cross for every single human, seven billion of us. Mm. The power of that experience brought us into the revelation of who you are. Mm. Father, you, we've always said that we want to be your hands and your feet and your voice to a broken generation. Mm. Well, here I am, Lord. Mm. Here we are, Lord. A broken That's right. generation. That's right. A generation that has been informed by the misdemeanors of previous generations. Yeah. A generation that has taken our identity from a broken place. Yes, Jesus. That have used your name. That have used the knowledge of the knowledge, the knowledge of your heart for us mm-hmm. to bring about pain and hurt to each other. And Father God, I pray, Lord, to heal our land, mm-hmm. heal our world heal our land, God. of the greatest crime that we could commit against each other. Jesus. Slavery of the mind, slavery of culture. Jesus. Where we dominate each other. Where we dominate each other and the way we do and the way we think things by our own thinking and reasoning. Mm. And dear God, give us your mind. Mm. Give us the mind of Christ. Give us a heart, Lord, like David, that pursues your presence. Mm. And in pursuing your presence, as you begin to uncover the things in our heart that hinder us from being revived. Jesus. The greatest revival happened in the church after a man called Peter found racism in his heart. Yes, God. And he did something about it. Mm. Because today, me and my white brothers, Mm. we experience the glory of God in our lives because Peter received the unveiling of the things that held him back. We are living in a tsunami of Acts 2 because, because he did that. Yeah. Father, open our hearts where there is prejudice, where we prejudge. Yeah. And Lord, it's prejudged because of colour, mm. not because of ability. Mm. Because God, I'm not going to give a five-year-old a hundred pounds mm. and ask him, to be wise with it because he doesn't know the value. But Lord, even as we know the story, as my story is shared, when people hear this, let them handle it with the dignity that it deserves. That's right. That's right. Not because I demand it, Lord, but because my story is your story. Yes, Jesus. And what you said, Lord, what I do for the least of these, Mm. I am least. I'm the least of these. And my story is a story of your redemption. That frees me from slavery of my mind, slavery of my habits, slavery of my heart. Yeah, God. And frees me of slavery of thinking and the systems. Mm. Lord, let your kingdom come in our hearts. Yeah, yeah. Let your kingdom come into our hearts. Yes, God. That we, the church, together, will be the lighthouse that the world looks to yes, because we now understand 
the greatest sin. Yeah. The greatest sin would have been for Peter to dismiss what you were showing him. Mm, that's right. But greatest yeah. act of obedience was that he opened the doors for us Gentiles, mm. all of us. That's right. To see you and you be revealed in our cultures, in our languages, the same Jesus. That's not a white Jesus with blue yeah. eyes, but is a Jesus that goes beyond and transitions beyond the humanity that speaks of heaven. And right mm. now you sit at the right hand of the Father. Father God, I thank you for this moment in time. Yes, God. That we are able to uncover and unveil truth. Yes, God. And from that place of truth and revelation, we walk with our heads up high in dignity and knowing that we don't live in the past, but we live it in the mm. present. Mm. That opens up the most amazing future. That's right. For the kingdom of God in this earth. Jesus. That, that 7.5 billion people will come to know the power of the cross of Jesus mm, in their lives. Mm, mm. Because when we stand, we stand not as white saviors or black saviors, mm. but we stand in the, we stand in that place where we represent yes. Jesus, yes. the Christ, son yes. of the living God. Mm. Thank you that you open our eyes to see beyond sight. Mm. Thank you that you open our ears to hear beyond hearing. May we forever walk in the truth that we have now found. In Jesus' name, mm. amen. Yes, God. Amen. Amen.